This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Without being present, we cannot be fully aware, and without being fully aware, we remain unconscious. This moment you are in right now, the present moment, is the most important moment there is. You are alive in it, and it is uniquely yours. It is unlike any other moment you have ever had or will have again. Yesterday has come and gone. Tomorrow is not here yet. It is this present moment that matters the most. And if we value the moments of our lives, we will want to make the most of each one and not let any moment go by without having lived it as truthfully and authentically as we can. But what does it mean to live authentically? The definition of authentic is genuine, and real, or in other words, the combination of all our true qualities and characteristics. However, Ora Nadrich likes to describe authentic as living our truth in the present moment. She knows it's easy to want to hide or conceal certain aspects of ourselves we may not love. But once we start to hide our realness and who we really are, it can slip away from us to the point that we are living dishonestly to our true nature. And why would we want to do that? Those are some of the reasons that strip us of our true nature. And before we know it, we are not living in our truth in the present moment or any of the moments of our lives if we are not aware of the traps of our mind, which are the lies we tell ourselves that keep us stuck in self-deception, fear, insecurity, doubt. Mindfulness, which is living in the present moment with total awareness, keeps us honest and true to who we are. It reminds us when we slip out of the moment of authenticity and try to hide or replace it with a false belief of ourselves. And that's what Aura explores in her work. But it won't stop there. Aura also directs us to the home of our authenticity, which is the depths of our inner being. That is where we find our wholeness and feel most accepting and complete. The inner self is the dwelling place of our authenticity. But too often we stray from our authentic wholeness and it can become fragmented or even broken. She will show you through a variety of meditations in each chapter how to return back to and connect with your inner self so you can live your authentic wholeness in all. 
Valeria interviews Ora Nadrich, the founder and president of the Institute for Transformational Thinking and author of Live True, a mindfulness guide to authenticity. Named in the 100 best mindfulness books of all time by Book Authority. She is a certified life coach and mindfulness teacher, specializing in transformational thinking, self-discovery, and mentoring new coaches as they develop their careers. Here is the interview with Oren Nadrich. In your own words, who is Aura Nadrich? Aura Nadrich is a woman who is her authentic self and is a woman that is very comfortable in her skin and also is on a journey of becoming, which is a journey of awakening. That sounds really good to me. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Live True, a mindfulness guide to authenticity, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is the practice of being present with mindful awareness. It is a ancient practice, really. It dates back to 2,500 years ago in Buddhism and Hinduism, but it's not a religious practice. It's a universal practice, and it is a practice that is very much come into the times that we're in right now, which I'm very excited about, because what it does is it helps us become more aware, conscious human beings. Yeah. You mentioned earlier being authentic. The first question is, what is like to be authentic? And how do you connect mindfulness to authenticity? Authenticity, the definition of authenticity is real and genuine. Do you know, if you looked up the definition, that's what would come up for you. And if you take the notion of the authentic self, that is who we are from within. It is our true nature. It's our true essence. It's our soul. Do you know? And how I connected it to mindfulness is that when we're present and aware, we can be much more present and aware if we're being authentic or if we're not. Right. So how do we know what are some of the signs when we are not being authentic? Do you know, I say that once you really become much more aware of when you are not being true to your nature and you start to really practice present moment awareness, which is what the practice of mindfulness is, you start to feel it, do you know? You can feel when you're being dishonest. You can feel when you're saying or doing something that doesn't feel real, do you know? And so often we are so many things to so many people that we forget to be true to ourselves, do you know? Because we think that we have to be a certain way in order to be accepted or to be loved. And we pay a price for that because we are choosing inauthenticity over authenticity. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Aura. And we know it. In a way, it's very personal too because we are all unique the way we um, express ourselves. Yes. Continue with my warm-up questions. What is the mind and what are thoughts? 
Do you know, I think of the mind, it, you know, people will say, well, how do you locate your mind? Is the mind the brain? You know, we know we have a brain. We know we have this vessel that is the brain and the brain contains, you know, these neurons and these chemicals and the brain itself is somewhat of a mystery. Do you know, from a neuroscientific point of view, we're learning more about the function of the brain than we've ever known before. The mind to me is really, I think of it as like this prime real estate that our thoughts occupy this land, if you will. It's this vast space that we fill it with thoughts, do you know? And I don't believe we can locate specifically where the mind is as much as we can, again, the brain. The mind to me is consciousness. It's awareness, do you know? And that's why having an awareness of the thoughts that we think is so important. And mindfulness helps us with that because we think supposedly between 40 and 70,000 thoughts a day. Wow. What do you think thoughts are, Aura? That's such a good question, Valeria. I mean, it has its element of, uh, to me, uh, existentialism, if you will. Like, what are thoughts, do you know? And what is the mind? I mean, we could spend forever just contemplating those questions, you (laughs) know, (laughs) and go down these rabbit holes, you know. Um, You know, thoughts to me are images, ideas, impressions, visions that get formed into the thought processes, if you will. And that's the way we are able to observe what we perceive, do you know? And thoughts are formed, you know, I think thoughts are energy, thoughts are ephemeral, thoughts can be concrete and thoughts can be really very, you know, not concrete, do you know? So what we know is it's part of the thinking brain, if you will. It's a function of who we are in the body and that we think, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's a function of the way in which we are in this body. We think, we have thoughts. Now we want to become more aware of the thoughts that we have. Right. It's fascinating life. And it's wonderful to have conversations like this, to explore more what this is. And I think one of the things that I've been contemplating is that if we are thinking thoughts or they are in a way thanking us. Yes, it does make sense. But what's interesting about you saying that, I think that's a really important point to make, and it very much fits into the work that I do about transformational thinking in that, you know, a lot of the times people think their mind is thinking them and they're not thinking their mind, do you know? And they feel as though they're being dominated by their minds and by the thoughts that they have without having any sense of the fact that we are the thinker. You know, we are the thinker, we are thinking these thoughts. So we can actually pick and choose the thoughts that we want to have harbor in our mind. Do you know, I like to use the analogy of curating your thoughts. Like you would curate art in a museum. You pick the best art in the museum to show off the artist. We can curate our thoughts so that we have the best thoughts that we want to think in our mind. And also to have an awareness of when an intrusive or a disruptive thought tries to interfere 
with us picking and choosing our thoughts. Do you know? We have a say in the matter. The mind, I don't believe, it's a personal belief. I don't believe that the mind thinks me. I believe that I, I, I pick and choose. I have a right to decide what kind of thoughts I want to hold in my mind or my mind's eye. I love that. Yeah. The idea of having choices, but only when we are aware that goes back to mindfulness and it has nothing to do with controlling, right? Or trying to control thoughts. It's more becoming more aware of them. Exactly. And another really good point, Valeria, because, you know, that's really what a lot of people feel in meditation, that they have to stop their thoughts. And, you know, that's, couldn't be further from the truth. That's not what meditation is intended for. Meditation is meant to sit quietly. So yes, you can quiet the mind, but you could quiet the mind as an observer. So if or when a thought comes through your mind, you simply observe it as if you would clouds moving across the sky. And what I say in meditation, thoughts don't hold on to us, we hold on to thoughts. So it's up to us how we want to let them go. You know, let them pass through. Mm, wow, that is so true. Uh, we hold hold on to thoughts because it feels a lot of time. It's almost like a, an obsession when we think the same thoughts over and over and over again. It feels like we are holding on to them, right? Yes, we and we and we are, and you know that's where mindfulness also really helps us to become aware of when we're doing something like that, where we stay stuck on a thought. And what happens is if you don't work through that thought or allow that thought to move, if you will, because it's, you know, thoughts come and go. And as I say, we hold on to thoughts, but when we allow them to go, then we're less likely likely to obsess on them. Do you know, it, it becomes a type of compulsivity, a type of obsessive behavior if we get overly identified or overly attached to a particular thought. And that's when we start to loop. And that's when we start to really stay hyper-focused on a particular thought. So true. And that leads to my next uh, question, because it sounds very much like freedom. So what is the meaning of freedom to you, Aura? Freedom to me, and it's a word that I use a lot, actually, and I also couple it or pair it with the word free-falling. Do you know that when we allow ourselves to free-fall into a moment, we really are letting ourselves explore the moment with total awareness, and that can feel like freedom, meaning we're not held captive by a thought or an idea or an opinion or a belief. We really are in more of expansive awareness, if you will. And when we're in that state of expansive awareness, we're less attached to things like thoughts. They don't have the same hold on us. So to me, freedom means expansiveness, you know, transcendental you know, awareness of the fact that we don't have to be hooked or connected or kept hostage by anything, really. Right, right. And essentially, we are free. It's um, being aware of that, knowing that, yeah, accessing that knowledge, innate knowledge, right? Yes. Exactly right. We are free. And uh, my next warm-up question is about, um, yeah, I'll just ask the question. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? 
I think the greatest need right now is truly more compassion. Do you know? I think that if we, if each and every one of us, you know, heightened our awareness and practiced more compassion, we would have a much more loving planet. Do you know? And I think that during this time of the global pandemic that each and every one of us is experiencing, I mean, it's really fascinating that everybody on the planet is experiencing the same thing called the coronavirus pandemic. And that during this time, I've really called it the Great Awakening. Do you know, it's an opportunity for a great pause and it's an opportunity for us to become more awake, conscious human beings. So my, my vision to take that out into the world, I hope that, you know, I would love it if everybody viewed it that way. You know, it's your own personal journey. I also consider this time a journey of personal transformation. And if you, you know, are wise in how you spend your time during this period of isolation, which I'm calling solitude, then we can bring our new selves out into the world. Do you know when the pandemic lessens and eventually will move and go and transition? Do you know? Yeah, it is a great opportunity to get to know who we are and that freedom, access that freedom, you're already free. Yes. Yes, exactly. I love a phrase that I read in your book. You said, be present about love. Make it your purpose and then declare your intentions from there. I mean, I just had to have that phrase here. Uh, So my question is, what is love to you? Love is everything. (laughs) And love is truth. Love is the truth of us. It's the truth of the universe. It's the truth of the cosmos. It's the truth of existence. Love is, to me, again, it's everything. You know, when we stray away from love, that's when illusion comes in. And that's when separation comes in. And that's when maya happens, the illusion. We must be very mindful of when we're not functioning from our hearts and when we start to move away from love. Love, again, to me is everything. Love is truth. I love that. I have to use the word love again. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful and true. And um, my next question is about peace. What is your understanding and idea of peace? Well, peace or the feeling of peacefulness, if you will, for me is when we accept, again, the truth of who we are, the authentic self, you know, the the soul essence, um, the energy, the vibration of who we came into the world as. And, you know, when we drop into the truth of who we are, we feel peaceful. Do you know? We're not in conflict. We don't feel conflicted. Do you know? We have accepted the truth of who we are. Well, if each and every one of us did that, then we would live in a higher vibration, again, of consciousness. And peace would be more of a prevailing energy on the planet. Do you know? So there's so much conflict and there's dissent and there's separateness and there's wars, which really is because we move away from the truth of peace, of inner peace and outer peace. Yeah. Yes, yes. 
Yes, a thousand times. <laughs> um, and um, my next question is about God. What, where, and who is God to you? Do you know, I don't think of God as a person or a thing. I think of God as divine consciousness, as unity consciousness, as oneness. My idea is a God or the idea of God, if you will, something that is holy, sacred, and divine exists in everything and everyone. And when we connect to the divine, which I like to refer to that as, then we are not separate and we come to understand that we are connected to everything and, and, and everyone and God is present in everything and everyone. Mm. Yeah. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Do you know, um, I consider myself a spiritual person, not a, not a religious person. So yes, I do in that. I think that all religion has its own um, spirituality, if you will, and it's practiced differently. And I do think that's, you know, the tenets of all religions is that they're, the basis of it is spiritual. Um, but I, for me, I, I am much more inclined to um, follow the perception of, of spirituality in that there is an awareness of something that is of the divine, if you will. And it's not limited to by any particular religion. I have great respect for all religions. I have great respect for anybody who practices a religion or is a, relig a particular religion. Um, but I feel that spirituality is the essence. It's the soul of all religions. Yeah. How did you become a writer, Laura? Well, I was always a writer, even as a little girl, um, going way, 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 way back. <laughs> I, I actually wrote poetry as a very young girl. And when I look back to the kind of poetry I wrote, it was rather contemplative. Do you know, it was very imaginative and contemplative. And it was where I discovered my imagination and, you know, love to go into that magical place for me that felt numinous and sensual and creative, you know, so I remember tapping into that even as a young girl. So poetry was my first expression of writing. And then um, I continued writing, I would write short stories, and I would write poetry was really my expression of writing. And then I became an actress. And while I was an actress, I, I became trained as a screenwriter and I started to write screenplays and sold my first screenplay while I was an actress. And, you know, fast forward two years later, I got this vision when I was writing screenplays that I didn't want to write about um, fictional characters. I didn't want to write that kind of writing, if you will. I wanted to write about the life experience in real time um, and about, you know, the soul journey of who we are. So my writing really took me to this point where I wrote my first book, Says Who, which is, uh, you know, a basically a transformational journey of changing the thinking mind from negative to positive. So I really found my expression as a writer that I felt destined to write books that talked about, you know, the soul, 
the truth of who we are, you know, the transformational journey. Yeah, that's one of my questions here, transformational thinking. I wanted to explore that more. But before that, um, why did you choose to become a life coach and mindfulness teacher? You know, many years ago, I remember sitting on a beach. We were on vacation with my family and I was meditating and I was really, you know, going within and I was exploring what I wanted to do next, like really connecting to what was calling to me, what was my intention, what did I see myself doing moving forward? I I have two children and they were getting a little bit older, they weren't babies anymore, and I knew that I felt called to do something, do you know, that I wanted to help people. And I put together this book that turned out to be this huge binder of my psycho-spiritual journey that I had been on for many, many years. And I was amazed at all the different learnings and teachings and modalities that I had the good fortune of learning on my psycho-spiritual journey. So I said to myself, I want to help others with these different teachings that helped me. And I want to combine all of them, if you will, to my own particular way of helping people become self-realized. So I didn't want to go back to get my master's. And I thought, well, what can I do? Do you know, how do I, how do I do this? So I felt, you know, I got this download about being a coach. And I said, oh, well, I what does that look like? And that was at a time when life coaching was really starting out. There were bar- there were barely any life coaches and you couldn't even find any certification training programs. But I did. I found a certification program that I took and I became a certified life coach. And once I became a life coach, I suddenly started to get all these different clients who I started to help. And it was just so rewarding for me at the time. And that was life coaching. Did you integrate meditation and mindfulness at that time, uh, right from the beginning? Or Yes, I did. I started to implement all the different modalities and all the different mindfulness teachings that I had learned on my journey into my life coaching practice. So it really became like an amalgamation of all the different teachings and the wisdom teachings, if you will, that really helped me on my journey become much more aware and uh, self-realized. And I offered that up to to my clients at the time. Talk to me a bit more about transformational thinking. Is that a method? Well, you know, your question, Valeria, about me becoming a life coach, it was when I was life coaching people for several years that it was with one particular client that came to me that was really struggling with a fear-based thought that she had that I got this insight to ask her very specific questions. And one of the main questions that I asked her was, says who? Who is saying this thought in your mind? She had tremendous fear that she was going to become penniless and homeless, you know, which was really fascinating to me at the time. What was happening during my session with her is that I was forming what ended up becoming my book, which is called Says Who, which are seven questions to ask yourself to challenge and confront fear-based thoughts. So that set me on a whole new trajectory of transformational thinking. 
And I published my book and I then set up my institute, which is the IFTT, the Institute for Transformational Thinking, and then subsequently set up a thought coach certification training program because I transitioned from a life coach to a thought coach, which is a, a new niche of coaching that I've developed through the Says Who Method. So all that to say that transformational thinking really became the thrust of my work. And that was working with people so that they could understand that they literally could change and transform their thinking from negative to positive. And that really set me on a whole new trajectory. Yeah, the name itself, transformational thinking, it's very positive, maybe because life is looking to transform, right? It's always transforming. Yes. Well, we're we're always in process, you know, we always are changing. You know, that's that wonderful quote by, I think, uh, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, change is constant. Do you know, nothing, nothing stays the same. So we are always ripe to change. And for me, the whole transformational experience is something that we can realize daily, do you know, by changing our thoughts and changing our perceptions and changing our beliefs, do you know, that we can be in this transitional experience of constant transformation. Yeah. Yes. So true. So the next question is about meditation and mindfulness. How are they different? Yes. Well, Meditation, sitting in meditation, if you will, is called a formal meditation, meaning that you are sitting on a pillow or a yoga mat or in a chair, wherever you want to sit, and you are in the act of meditation. You've taken yourself there to meditate, do you know? But the meditation doesn't stop really once the meditation is over, and mindfulness is the continuation of the meditation. So what that means is that that's an informal practice where you take the very essence of what you would be doing in meditation, which is, you know, quieting the mind, sitting in quietude, in stillness, and that helps you access, you know, higher awareness or even transcendental consciousness, if you will, that it doesn't have to stop once the meditation is over. You know, people sometimes think, oh, my half hour meditation is over, my 45 minutes or however long you meditate, and boom, you transition into becoming busy again. And you've really kind of defeated the purpose because if we're only meditating for that certain amount of time and then immediately transition into being busy and being distracted, then we're really not continuing the practice of mindfulness if you will. So I like to say that the, the meditation is the sitting portion of mindfulness. And then when we get up and we go out into the world, we're continuing our mindfulness practice. So it's uh, mindfulness is in a way active meditation. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, talk to me about the present moment and how time is an illusion. Well, it's interesting that, you know, if you think about the three time frames, past, present, and future, well, think about what is the most real of those times, the present, because we're alive in the moment of now. So right now, you and I are together, we're talking, and that is all that is real. It is what's most real is because we are alive in this moment. But it's the time that we have the most difficult time staying in because the mind tends to wander almost 50% of the time. And where it usually goes is in the past, 
where we try and redo the past or lament how we wish things were different. And if you think about the past, it's an illusion. It's not here. It's gone. It's over. The past can be with us in memory, and we can revisit the past through the memory. But what memories do we want to keep of the past? Do you know? If we're trying to redo the past, or as I said, lament the past, then we're really living in the illusion of a time frame that no longer exists. And if you take the the other time frame, which is the the future, well, that isn't here yet. And oftentimes the mind wanders to a time frame that not only isn't here yet, but we worry or think about what might or could happen. Now, that's really interesting to think about what is the most real of all three, not to say that they're not real and important. They are important. All those time frames are important. But where we need to be mindful is how present are we in the moment of now? Are you really present? Are you really showing up in this moment? Or are you wishing another moment is going to come? Or do you wish the past moments were still here? Do you know? That makes me think about memories. The present moment doesn't have, there's no memories here. There's nothing. There's just this happening. That's right. And that's why the present moment can be mysterious for people and also frightening for people because they're in this moment that is now, as I said, and Sometimes people don't really know who they are in the moment. You know, they, they're more identified with a memory. They're more identified by projecting onto the future. They're still in the memory of maybe who they once were and less comfortable with who they are now. The interesting thing about the present moment is that you it's like peeling an onion. You just keep peeling it and peeling it. And that's the beauty of the moments is that they seamlessly can move from one moment to the next. And, you know, also like something in meditation, when you really are in present moment awareness, you can feel like you're disappearing. And that can be frightening to people because they can think, well, then who am I really? Do you know if I can't hold on, if I can't hold on to my identity, my persona, a memory, you know, then who am I really? Who am I really? You know, it's, it can be frightening to people when in fact it can be the most incredible moment. The moment right now that you're in right now really is the most exquisite moment because you're alive in it right now. I'm wondering how we learn to uh, embrace the unknown, this uh, open-mindedness and oh, being more open-hearted too, just to accept life as it happens without holding on, like you said, holding on to the energies, to thoughts. Yes, you know, the, the, just the de- one of the definitions of, of mindfulness is being in the present moment with total awareness, with non-judgment and acceptance. Do you know? So the acceptance part really comes into, can I accept the moment that I'm in right now and what this moment has to show me? Do you know? If you're in a, if you're in a state of acceptance and you're really allowing yourself to show up in the moment and you're really allowing the moment to show you what it has to bring you. Yeah. Wow. That is wonderful. A wonderful way to live. I don't know if we can stay. Do you think it's possible to stay in this state of mind all the time? <laughs> that is a, <laughs> that's, that's a very powerful question because, 
Do you know, I love that quote by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, which is, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. So it's, it's a contradiction, you know, it's, it's dualistic, if you will, because we live in this dualistic reality that we're spirits living in this body and we're having human experiences. So where mindfulness really comes into play in such a beautiful way is it has it gives us an awareness of when we're moving away from the fact that we're spirits and we're too at the effect of our human experiences, if you will, where we're reacting, we're being triggered, we're busy, we always have to be doing. So what mindfulness does is it says, hey, stop, take a pause. Do you know? So we need those pauses, as you said, because it's not easy for us to live in a more present state all the time. It takes work. Let's be honest. Do you know? When we glimpse that state, that beautiful state that can come in, do you know, it's like the state that I talked about where it becomes non-separate, oneness, unity consciousness, you know, whatever anybody wants to call it, the divine, um, the mystery, you know, mysticism, whatever it is for you. When we glimpse it, when we get a wave of it or we get the flavor of it, you know, for anybody who, who has had those exquisite moments that almost can't be put into words, we think, oh, can we live that way always? You know, my I've just written my third book. Um, and I and I go very much into the the realms of consciousness with mindfulness. And so I talk a lot about this. And you know, who doesn't want to live in that state of bliss all the time? <laughs> right. I think we all want to be in that state of bliss all the time. And we can glimpse it. We can live more in that state. But we have to get out of our own way, do you know? We really do. And we have to be willing to be more present. And we have to be willing to value the moments of our lives and show up in them present. Yeah. So in a way, reaching that state, um, it's almost like it's not an, an experience. It seems like a, a realization, remembrance, like some people say. That's right. Remembrance. Remembrance is a beautiful word, which has also been linked to the definition of mindfulness, where we remember. We remember who we really are, the awareness of who we really are. You know, we, we have this, this glimpse, this wave that comes in that reminds us, ah, this is who I truly am. You know, and I think it's that we are these divine creatures, these divine souls on the planet that happen to be in this body that Pierre Teilhard de Chardin talked about the human experience. And I believe that we come into the world like this and we will leave when it's time for us to leave the vehicle that has housed our spirits for as long as it does. And we continue on, do you know, as this infinite energy, this infinite light, do you know? So we're here to learn. We're here to learn. We're here to evolve. We're here to awaken. Yeah, and that's true. And live well, right, Aura? Yes. I love the idea of flavoring, like bringing this memory, this remembrance into the present moment, as you say, and flavoring the experience. Because it really seems to me like that is not an experience because to experience, you need uh, duality, you need two. So, and then we just experience, but uh, with the flavor of the eternity, of the mystery. <laughs> that sounds good <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes. Think of it as and think of being, thinking of it as that as waves or flavors or aromas. You know, it's like the essence. It's like the beautiful essence of right. You know, right, right. Um, I have another. Yeah, I made a note here about something you say that our true nature is wholeness which it is. But why do we use, more often than not, the word um, healing, the idea of healing, as if we are not whole? Well, I do believe we come into the world as whole spirits, whole beings. You know, I do believe that we come in as these whole, you know, aware spirits, even though we come in as a baby and then we begin the life journey. And as we begin the life journey, we are going through all these initiations and all these rites of passage. And the life journey is filled with a lot of things, you know, it's filled with a lot of sadness. It's filled with suffering. It's filled with beauty and it's filled with gorgeousness too. But anybody who's on the life journey knows that part of life, you know, part of the Buddhist principles is that life contains suffering. Do you know? And so that's a given. And, you know, it can be very hard to go through the, the pain. It can be hard to suffer and it can fracture parts of ourselves, do you know? And we can feel as though we've become broken. That's why the healing and healing is something that I think we do daily, do you know, you don't have to be suffering. You don't have to be broken. You don't have to be fractured. You don't have to be wounded to heal. Healing is nurturing, is giving ourselves love daily. You know, we think of healing in the context of illness. We think, of, we think that we only have to heal when we're ill. That's not true. Healing to me is drinking from the well of replenishing. To me, healing is how are the ways in which I'm loving myself daily? You know, it's nurturing. That to me is healing. You know, we mustn't just think of healing in the context of illness. I love that. Yeah, absolutely love that um, interpretation. <laughs> A wonderful Thank one. Thank you. True. We go back to self-love, yeah, self-care, self-love. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? I do. I really do. I think that the way in which we can experience, you know, deep love of ourselves is unconditionally. Do you know that, again, it goes back to, do you know, again, the definition of mindfulness, the, you know, is being in the present moment with total awareness, non-judgment, acceptance, and also the cherry on top. It's like is self-love. So it's being in the present with awareness of who we are with acceptance and with self-love. To me, that's unconditional. You know, I'm not putting conditions on the love that I'm wanting to give myself. I want to know that I can come home to myself, that I can trust that when I go into the inner temple of self, that there is love there for me that I have love to give for myself. And the more love that I can give for myself is the more love that I can give to others. Wow, yeah. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Aura, for your wisdom. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And um, would you like to add anything or read a passage from your book before I ask you my final questions? Um, you know, certainly feel free to ask me. I'm, your questions are lovely. I'm happy to answer them, whatever you'd Thank like. You, Okay. Uh, so how do you define success? What is to be successful to you? 
Success to me is to be authentic, (laughs) is to be authentically who you are. Then you're a successful human being. You're being true to who you are. You're living truth. And living truthfully to me is successful, is being a successful human being. Yeah, yes. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I, the lessons continue. And that's the beauty of the life journey, the journey of awakening. Do you know, I feel like the lessons come every day. And, you know, I can't think of the hardest lesson. Um, you know, what comes to mind maybe is that um, I, I'm a very empathic person and I feel very deeply And I think it's been very hard to lose loved ones. You know, I've lost three family members and it has been profoundly sad for me. And I would say it's a hard lesson to uh, move through uh, knowing or understanding that life is a transition, that it's ephemeral, that those that we love will pass and that we all pass, you know, so maybe the, maybe I would say, you know, this comes very spontaneously that one of the hardest lessons is the acceptance of the impermanence of life. And that as much as we'd love life to be here forever, it's not, do you know? And I think one of our greatest fears really why we choose to be so busy and so distracted is because we're really afraid of death and dying. That is true. Yeah, that is so true. I believe that too. Do you connect the word acceptance, surrender, and letting go? I think that's a wonderful mixture of the same thing or variations on a theme. I think if we accept, again, that things are impermanent, then we don't have to really attach ourselves to things all the time. And we are more comfortable with letting go. So I think that all three of those things serve each other well. Mm, Yeah. And speaking of um, death, I'll ask you a question about that. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change anything or do anything differently? I think I would choose to be more fearless. (laughs) Oh, wow. I would choose to be more fearless. I would... Um, really, again, I would uh, move into that, the depth of fearlessness, which I think is so powerful. Yeah, and it is so freeing. Yes, so true. What are three things about life you know for sure, Aura, as of today? That it is a gift, that it is a blessing, and that it is a journey of awakening. Thank you so much for your presence, your genuine and beautiful presence, your wisdom, the peace that you emanate, the truth too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Valeria, for having me. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? The best way to connect with me or to you see what I'm doing or what I have done or what I, what I will continue to be doing is to go on my website, which is auranadrich.com, O-R-A-N-A-D-R-I-C-H, my website. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valeria. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank 
thank you for listening. To learn more about Aura Natrich, please visit her website, theiftt.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.